what's up everything with the St. Louis Blues on a much needed hiatus from causing us suffering due to the NHL All-Star break. The Two Guys One Cup podcast will take a look back at how we got here. We'll cover an extensive timeline of all the Blues decisions, right and wrong, mostly wrong, since they won the Stanley Cup on June 12th, 2019, and then we'll look ahead at how they can seek to rebuild this disaster. It's all ahead and it's a lot to cover, so let's get started and let's go All-Stars. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is Thursday, February second. It's Groundhog Day. Rise and shine, campers, and don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. And this is when Ian says it's cold out there every day, but he doesn't know his lines, and he's also <laughs> muted because Frankie's going insane. Welcome back, everyone. If it feels like you're living the same blues game over and over again, that's because you are. You're Bill Murray, and there's no way off this island. Kill yourself all you want. You're just going to come back. Ian, <laughs> how are you doing on this fine Groundhog Day? It's, like, it's a very apt comparison. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well because there's no Blues hockey. They can neither win nor lose. They can only exist in uh, limbo land, if you will. Much like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. That's right. I do feel weird, though, because I feel like what an addict must feel like because they <laughs> that knows that they're an addict and that it's not good because i'm totally fine with the blues not playing any games they suck and then the other day i was like well what am i gonna do tonight there's no hockey on. there's no blues hockey and it's like you don't mm. want them you don't want the blues <laughs> kick the habit um i didn't know today was groundhog day february 2nd every really? february 2nd yeah really mm-hmm <laughs> It's not like a lunar thing where it's like, oh, sometimes <laughs> no. it's like April 29th. Mm-mm. Oh, man. Why did I think it was like a March thing? It felt like a March know. thing. Of course, there's going to be more winter. We're not out of, you're I'm, never out of winter. I'm aware. Oh. To be fair, though, the actual thing is an early spring. They're hoping for an early spring. Oh, Otherwise, okay. you get six more weeks of winter, which is no, okay. assumed. That makes sense. So, what happened with Punk's Tony Phil today? Good question. Let's find out together. Did the groundhog see a shadow 2023? Members of Punxsutawney Phil's inner circle summoned him from his tree stump at dawn to learn if he had seen a shadow. According to folklore, oh, you got to tell me in the little blurb. I don't want to click. Uh, I, love, I love these. This time, Phil saw his shadow. Oh, boo, you ass. <laughs> you piece well, of crap. Speaking of pieces of crap, Ian, I just had one of the strangest um, road rage incidents. I was the victim of one of the strangest road rage incidents. Oh, no. Did someone throw fecal matter at you? (laughs) So at our office, our office is basically in like a residential area. It's in like a suburban town. Um, So we basically exit off more or less onto a neighborhood street. I mean, it's like more of a main thoroughfare than that, but pretty much a neighborhood street. So there's there's a four-way stop to you to the right but the office exit is left of that so mm. you've got people coming up to this four-way stop 
So I drive out to the edge of the thing and I look down because people are driving out to this four-way stop. So I'm like, I'm just waiting for traffic to clear up. I look down for five, 10 seconds. I don't know. I look up and a guy is waving me past him angrily. And and I can see him mouthing very clearly, fucking go. <laughs> Always good. And, and I and I couldn't help myself but just kind of like smile and be like, yeah, man, I gave him a big thumbs up and he gave me the finger. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, dude, you stopped of your own volition. You were under no, no, you know, obligation whatsoever to stop here. It was so strange. It was like such a weird oxymoron for him to choose to stop to let me out, which was a very polite, nice thing to do. And then just be so angry that I didn't immediately take him up on it. Uh, it was just funny. So um, hopefully you don't have road rage out there today. But if you're a Blues fan, there's plenty of reason for it. So the Blues will not play again until uh, February 13th. Uh, February 11. 11th and there's no guarantee that the roster looks the same on that day it probably will but there's no guarantee um and uh we are going to spend this episode talking about how we got here we're not going to look at games or analyze the team we're going to look at a timeline of the blues downfall which i have very carefully put together um because i think it's interesting i mean we talk about this team I realized today we're coming up on four years since this team won the cup. It still, it right. still feels like they just won the cup, you know, but it's been three and a half years since they won the Stanley cup. I wonder if that's how it feels when you win your first cup. If that's just probably. true. Yeah. yeah. We've had, we've won, we've had an international uh, pandemic, global pandemic since <laughs> then. Um, you know, there's been a lot going on and the Blues have really transformed as a team. But I still think, I think functionally, we still think that we're like in the cup era. You know, people still feel like, I think if you asked a Blues fan, um, you know, if you just asked them point blank, hey, is this the same team that won the Stanley Cup? They'd say, of course, no, it's not. No, of course not. But if you just kind of are talking conversationally, I think they're pretty much like, well, we're still, we just won the cup. So of course we're still contenders, you know? And um, I think obviously the last few weeks have really killed that and pretty much everyone, even the most loyal uh, and ardent supporters of that mindset. But until now, and certainly coming into this season, a lot of people still felt that way. And I think it's interesting to go look back at what the team was and how they got here because there were decisions all along the way that have put us in this position where we now have to have a rebuild. And listen, all of these decisions were made by Doug Armstrong and we there's a lot of criticism to be labeled at Doug Armstrong. I know there are a lot of people out there that think he should be fired. I'm not necessarily against that. All I would say on his behalf is that the part that he's bad at is the contracts and those are already mm-hmm. signed. So <laughs> as far as trading and drafting i'm actually not as worried about him doing that part you know mm-hmm. like he's pretty I'd, I'd almost rather have him do that part than you know bring in some washed up gm that's done it poorly in three other places which you know they do you know so yeah peter shirley um, he's already here i specifically <laughs> didn't say that name um you know but that's 
anyway, that's that's the situation that, you know, I'm not doing this with an eye to necessarily hammer on Doug Armstrong, but I think it's obvious that he's at the center of all this. And I think it's obvious that mistakes have been made. So why don't we jump right into it? June 12th, 2019, and the greatest day in franchise history, Mm -hmm. the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup in seven games, beating the Boston Bruins four to one, correct? Yes. Yep. Ryan O'Reilly wins the Conn Smythe Trophy in a season where he also won the Selkie Trophy, his first season with the team. Alex Petrangelo's second goal with eight seconds left in the first period basically seals the deal for the Blues, though, of course, no Blues fan felt like that at the time. Uh, Let's look at the scores of this game. Alex Petrangelo, one goal, one assist. He's gone. Ryan O'Reilly, one goal, one assist. He's going. Braden Shin, one goal. He's here forever. Zach Sanford, one goal, he's gone. Jay Bomeister, one assist, he's gone. Jaden Schwartz, two assists, he's gone. Vladimir Tarasenko, one assist, he's going. And David Perron, one assist, he's gone. These guys, this is a fundamentally different team from the one that lifted the Stanley Cup. So what we have to answer is how did we get here, Ian? And that's exactly what we're going to go through right now, right here uh strap in strap in cats strap in folks 13 days later june i will not be doing the math on how many days later this is throughout because that would be uh mind numbing but 13 days later which i remember that being a long much longer time because there was that weird controversy about it so when i read that it was 13 days i had to like triple check but 13 days later the blues remove the interim tag and extend craig berube for three seasons as their full full full-on head coach uh, a month after that, July 25th, the Blues trade Jordan Schmaltz for Andreas Borgman, and that was the beginning of the end. That's, we should have known. <laughs> did Andreas first, Borgman ever play for rounder. this team? I feel like he did play uh, for this didn't he? Maybe. That's... He had washboard abs. I remember that. Oh, yeah. If there's anything shredded. I remember about him. Let's see. Nope. Let's see. Not, no nope, not he played then. seven games for Tampa Bay the year after that, though. I think Schmaltz only started playing games for us like that year, too. Nothing. Oh, look at that, man. Oh, look Holy at crap. What a what a dreamy, dreamy guy. We got to bring him back. All right. So Andres Borman, obviously not that big a deal. September 24th, 2019, the Blues training camp had come around. Joel Edmondson, Dominic Bach, and a 2022-21 seventh round pick go to the Carolina Hurricanes for Justin Falk and a 2025th round pick. The Blues immediately extend Justin Falk on a seven-year deal at $45.5 million, featuring a $6.5 million annual average value with a full no-trade clause until 2025, then it becomes a 15-team no-trade clause. Uh, yeah. This decision, I think, is a bigger domino. I mean, it's a big domino because this decision begets the Petrangelo decision and the Krug decision and the Pareko decision. This is the first piece of many pieces. And it's kind of unfortunate because Falk has been the best of the defenders we've had, which again, is not not saying much, Um, but he's been the better consistently. Um, um, It's, it's interesting with Falk though, right? Because it feels like, and I've said this before, and I feel like I'm until until I'm proven otherwise. This is just what I believe. But it's like they brought Justin Falk in to 
possibly be the Petrangelo replacement. He was never going to fully inhabit that role, but like he was going to take that spot. He was going to be in the top four. You move Preko around, you move um, at this point, Bo Meester around and stuff like it. You, he just fits in your top four when there's a hole there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of made sense. And we can leave it to more talking later down the line in this timeline. But then they go ahead and they do other things that sort of like contradict the fact that they got Justin Falk to replace Petrangelo or that they've now realized that Justin Falk isn't even enough to replace Petrangelo, even though they probably knew that already. Like, and then also this is a little conjecture too, but getting Justin Falk was to help ease the fact that they might lose Petrangelo, but then it also feels like there's been talk in the past about how getting Justin Falk actually pushed Petrangelo further out the door. Maybe not getting him, but extending him immediately pushed Mm -hmm. Petrangelo closer to the door. Well, I think whatever you want to look at it as, you know, I think it's undeniable that Doug Armstrong had to be thinking with an eye towards the Alex Petrangelo negotiations. Mm -hmm. If he when he traded for Justin Falk and maybe he was thinking here's insurance if Petrangelo leaves maybe he was thinking I'll get Justin Falk to warn Petrangelo that we have insurance and he'll take a little bit less um, because he knows I'm not playing games maybe he was thinking I want them both and I just think you know and I'll trade Pareko for high value I don't know exactly what he was thinking but there's no way he was thinking one move at a time there Um, I think the problem is by saying that by getting Alex Petrangelo insurance in any way, you were admitting that you weren't willing to do whatever it took to keep Alex Petrangelo. And that I think is honestly, I know people will debate this. I know he hasn't been like sensational for the Golden Knights, but to me, that's the ultimate downfall of this entire era is losing Alex Petrangelo because he's the centerpiece of our defense and now we have no defense you know and you can look at that in a lot of different ways and you can say well he's not as good now as he was or it would have been a bad contract but again we're paying 19 million 19.5 million to just Falk, Krug and Petran and Pareko two of those contracts would not be on the books if we had kept Alex Petrangelo Mm -hmm. we don't know which two but again if we'd been fully prepared to keep Alex Petrangelo at all costs maybe we don't go trade for Falk certainly if we get him and get Falk then we're trading Pareko and not signing Krug presumably maybe we sign Krug to be the number two after Bomeister leaves I don't know but um, probably not you know Mm -hmm. and you're probably looking at a situation instead of three bad unmovable contracts with a 6.5 million dollar AAV you've got one contract with a nine-ish million dollar AAV and one with a 6.5 and one of those you have no intention of moving and the other one who knows what the circumstances are but you've also got just a better defense and you probably don't have the Marco Scandella extension and you probably don't have the Nick Letty extension and all of that is better. So this is where the dominoes to me started to fall with this Justin Falk extension. Mm-hmm. But I think the equally interesting part happened of about a week and or 10 days after that, 
when the Blues signed Braden Shen to an eight-year, $52 million contract extension with a full no-trade clause because I went back in our archives, episode 97 of the Two Guys, One Cup podcast, if you want to visit this uh, in the past, which, God, why would you? But you can. It's there. If you're bored. uh, I looked up... um, I, I remember us distinctly talking about these comments at the time, and I thought, and you were, I think you were a little worried about them, um, but uh, I remember looking back and thinking about it, and so I looked these up. So uh, on the extension, Armstrong said, I think when you look at all the contracts signed by players who are thir- 28 to 31 or even 32, you want to get that extended term to try and get that cap number down. That's the opposite of what you should be doing. I didn't understand (laughs) that at the time. I don't understand it now. Where we're at in our organization right now is we have a lot of players from 25 to 30 that are in the real guts of their career. And I really felt it was our responsibility as an organization. And this is to Shin and Tarasenko and O'Reilly and Petrangelo and Pareko. And that list is to support that group. They've done everything we've asked over the last five or six years to be a very competitive team. I know the term is something we are going to have to deal with in all reality in five to six, probably closer to six or seven years. But with that being said, we'd rather put 12, 13, 14 year run together in a salary cap system and worry about that then. And we are going to need young players to come in that time. The CBA could look different. You never know what it's going to look like. But I felt it was our responsibility and with the blessing of our ownership to support that group that supported us for the last three or four years so they can see a reason to be here and want to be here for the next five or six years where we should be competitive. That is a very damning statement looking retroactively. (laughs) I know a lot of things changed. I know there was a whole pandemic that flattened the salary gap and we'll we'll read a little bit more of these comments in a minute here. but the whole, I felt it was our responsibility as an organization to Shen and Tarasenko and O'Reilly and Petrangelo and Pareko to support that group. They've done everything we've asked. I know the term is something we're going to have to deal with in all reality. But that being said, we'd rather put together a 12 to 13, 12 to 14 year run in a salary cap system and worry about that then. Um, and I felt it was our responsibility with the blessing of ownership to support that group that supported us for the last three or four years so they can see a reason to be here. O'Reilly, Petrangelo, Pareko, Shin, and Tarasico. Three of those five guys are likely to be gone after this season, and Petrangelo would be gone less than a year after these comments. Um, it really says a lot about, you know, obviously negotiations don't go, but it with the Petrangelo thing, I'll just say this, and I know we've talked about it plenty in the past, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but it is so weird to me to be willing to go to eight years on, no offense, but Braden Shin, but not be willing to give Alex Petrangelo a no movement clause. I mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the final straw that broke the camel back. We'll probably never know, but we know it's something he got from Vegas that he was reported to not being be getting from St. Louis. And that's beyond bizarre to me. Um, if that's not the case, if we offered the no movement clause and it became down to money or different things, fine. And I know, I think Armstrong said comments kind of on both sides of that at different points. So who knows, but um, such a strange comment to make for then your captain to be gone a month later or a year later. 
Yeah, it's um, just crazy to me that he gives out full no trade clauses, which can then obviously turn into like a modified thing or a, you know a fifteen team list down the line. But to not give out a full no move clause to Petrangelo, which is essentially obviously full full team list, or you know they've got to approve basically any trade. And on top of that, I believe that you can't send them down to the minors or something like that. Um, but like you're not, but it's Alex Petrangelo, so you're not like going to. I think that was the problem where I was like yeah i'm not gonna give a no move clause to tyler bozak i'm scared of that you know but it's like this is no move clause for your number one defenseman who who you i mean maybe they just really thought he was gonna fall off a cliff or something but it's like if you really believe in the guy and you're willing to give him all this money for this term and everything but just not the no move clause which is like what's it's been supposedly reporter was the issue it's like i i just can't imagine in what world you think like we're going to have to send this dude down. We're going to want to trade him so hard in a couple of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's not, and, he, and now he'll control all of that. And it's like, he yeah. shouldn't have to control that because he'll be fine. So, I mean, he had a rough season, a season or two ago or whatever, but he seems fine in Vegas now. It's just, it, it's always been, like you're saying, just so bizarre to me. Like, I'm obviously not all the little inner workings of that. Maybe there's some other fundamental things between a no trade and a no move, but like, it's it's nuts it's nutty i'll never get that (laughs) yeah i mean it's beyond bizarre but moving forward for the sake of time um we assigned shin oh i should i wouldn't wanted to also mention jr asked him where will you be in eight years and armstrong said where will i be telling the same story to the guy that has this job um Oh, oh, oh. it's funny because he's still here um <laughs> how, how, when, he was, when was this about, 2019 so what are we talking we're yeah. talking 2027 that at the at the latest uh, and he did say here we just have one expansion we have another one coming up in a couple of years and i know the players are hoping and i know the league is hoping that the salary cap continues to rise there's a big television deal coming up so I'm hoping four to six years, your salary cap has gone up significantly. So the AAV of these contracts seems to come down. I don't think we're abandoning the future of this franchise with these deals. And that is something we have to remember for mm-hmm. Armstrong, for every GM in the league. The salary cap did not go up. They thought it would go up meteorically and it didn't go up at all. That's brutal. And that, you know, he deserves some credit for that. And honestly, as much as we complain about the blues contract situation none of their contracts are as bad as many of the worst in the league pareko's might be the exception but it's still a 6.5 versus an 11 or a nine or an eight and a half you know so um i'm again not trying to bury doug armstrong here but i think it's important to go back through history on november 6th a month after the shin extension the blues traded robbie fabry to the detroit red wings for jacob de la rose rip um february 18th a few months later the blues traded a 2022 2020 second round pick and a 2020 conditional fourth round pick to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Marco Scandella. Eventually, two months later, on April 16th, the Blues would extend Scandella on a four-year deal with a $3.275 million AAV. By extending him, they surrendered their fourth-round pick, which became a defensive prospect, William Trudeau. Obviously, there are um, limitless regrets about the Scandella extension. 
it's another thing that prevented Alex Petrangelo from resigning here. The fact that we signed two defensemen whose contracts added up to $9.775 million is uh, telling to me that maybe they didn't want to keep Alex Petrangelo that badly when you look back at it. Um, the Scandella thing's been a disaster in a number of ways, fortunately. I mean, not fortunately, I don't want to crow about this, but fortunately from a cap such perspective, he's been on LTIR this whole season. Wildly, he still has another year left on that deal. Oh my God. So I, again, I hate to put it this bluntly, but I'm hoping that he can remain on LTIR through the duration and that just becomes a mysterious problem in the background <laughs> but um it solves itself if you will we wouldn't be the first nhl team to do that maybe he got allergic to his equipment all of a sudden who knows but um it is what it is that was a huge mistake for this team a, a cataclysmically bad contract extension based on a very short run of form and made at a very odd time that was made during the pandemic shutdown window, I believe mm -hmm. April, 2020, that would have been a month after the pandemic started. Um, I do remember that. That was so weird. This was when they were in the early stages of like planning <laughs> how they were going to come the back. Pause. Oh, you remember the right. pause. They hit pause. That was a good song though. That plain white tees bop that we played after the mm -hmm. pop. It was so cheerful and so discordant with what actually became of COVID-19. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, but yeah, I mean, huge mistake, obviously. And a contract extension we've regretted pretty much ever since. September 2nd, 2020, we're back after this is after the bubble playoffs, after heading into the next draft, I believe. We trade Jake Allen to the Montreal Canadiens for a 2020 uh, third round pick that became Dylan Peterson and a 2020 seventh round pick that was bumped ahead to 2021. And then we selected Ivan Vorbyov. Uh, out of Russia. Obviously, this was a good move for the team. They needed to get rid of Jake Allen's contract. Um, Jake Allen has uh, been in a very extremely difficult situation in Montreal, not only with Montreal just not being very good, but also uh, replacing Carey Price when Price was under duress, both for health and mental health reasons. So, you know, with, with due respect to Jake Allen, uh, his numbers have not been good there, but you can pretty much understand why. Uh, but his time here was up and he deserved to go play for his hometown team. And he's resigned, resigned there, I believe at a pretty healthy AAV to stay in and mentor guys like Caden Primo and honestly just, you know, stand in the breach until that team's a little bit better. So he's got... Um, a uh, oh, I thought that was I thought Brendan Gallagher was him for a second. He's got two more two more seasons at three point eight five million dollars after this season. So pretty healthy raise, good for him. He's making his money. He's playing for his uh, beloved childhood team. We love Jake Allen, um, but that was a good trade. But it happened. Uh, then on October 9th, twenty twenty, the Blues signed Tory Krug to a seven year deal with a six point five million dollar AAV and a no trade clause all but closing the door on a reunion with team captain Alex Petrangelo. So between the Stanley Cup and and the point at which Alex Petrangelo had actually signed with a different team, the Blues spent 
$16.275 million on new defensemen on long-term contracts. So, you know, again, it's, you can say, you can say what you will about hindsight being what it is and everything else, but it certainly does not seem that the blues had signing Alex Petrangelo as their number one priority at any point in this season or after the Stanley Cup. I mean, they certainly through their actions, obviously, or made that obvious. And then just mm-hmm. also through their words or lack thereof. I just remember lots of the lots of it being sort of like tepid positivity of like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, talk with his representation and mm-hmm. and see what they're thinking and blah blah blah. And it's just like, man, how many times do you see like GMs go out and they're like They'll even say they'll even say, uh, you know, pretty plainly, like, "Oh, our number one priority is, um, you know, signing Steven Stamkos or whatever." You know, that's yeah. what we're doing with summer. We got to get that done. And it's like, if you're gonna, if you're so gung ho on Petrangelo, or if you're going to be, then that's what I expect you to hear, and not the sort of like you're talking about it as if he's like freaking Nolachari. We'll see what we can do. You know, mm-hmm. we'll see if it's in the cards. I think there's a lot of like. Animosity oh, between oh yeah, look at Petrangelo us look at us who would have thought my baby <laughs> <laughs> between Petrangelo with whoever he was with Newport or whatever and Armstrong like I'm sure lots of GMs are are hard headed and can play hardball but like I think Armstrong's definitely one of them and it just comes to like hey man if you, this is what we're doing and if you can't make this work you're not gonna accept it then see ya. Um, which generally speaking, I don't mind, you know, overall, but like, it's just like the guy you're going to play hardball with and be super hard on. is like your, your captain, your cup winning captain, uh, number one defenseman. And then to the point of like just signing Tory Krug. So now, yeah, you've essentially signed like three defensemen to replace, uh, I guess not just Petrangelo, but like two, two defensemen to basically replace Bomeister and Petrangelo. And I don't even know if we have it on here. I don't remember when it was he retired, but like, and um, Gunnarsson at whatever point. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Forgot about Gunnarsson. I'm not sure when that was. That might have been the same time as Bo Meester, like retiring officially. Um, and it's just February 12th, 2020 was the Jay Bo Meester incident. Right. Um, and then like literally immediately later, before immediately yeah. before the micro Marco Scandella trade, which, <laughs> you know, proves that that was a, uh, you know, maybe they'd already had eyes on Marco Scandella. Presumably they did, but that's definitely a panic reaction, especially with the contract extension. Yeah. I mean, they needed somebody and like he played well, but it, he wasn't Jay Bomeister and they were essentially paying him to be that replacement and then they basically went out and they got justin falk in case petrangelo left and then they got troy krug when petrangelo left um neither of what i mean i jeff merrick has said this on 32 thoughts and as much as it pains me to agree with them on something like they've circled back on the fact this team has kind of always been missing Petrangelo since he left they've talked about this a number of times and they've talked about how it's like hey they got Tory Krug to you know replace some of their offense they got just some fuck for like the two-way game and like we've just been trying to grab at defensemen to sort of like make us ourselves and Alex Petrangelo and I don't even think so highly of Petrangelo would be like man it's like we lost freaking Adam Fox or whatever it's like mm-hmm. he was just a good solid number one defensemen who well, we I, haven't replaced who we haven't had one since 
we haven't gotten there yet, but we can skip ahead to October 12th. Uh, well, we signed at Kyle Clifford on October 11th, and we signed on October 12th. Petrangelo officially departed to the Vegas Golden Knights, signing a seven-year deal, $8.8 million AAV, and a no-movement clause. Imagine he had an 8.8, an 8.0, even an $8.5 million deal on this team right now. And you get rid of the crew contract and you get rid of the Pareco contract. You've got, you've netted, I can't even do the math, but four, $5 million in that mm-hmm. trade off if it's 8 million. And that we're just undeniably in a better position. We've got five more million dollars. And I would say, I would say whatever Petrangelo's struggle struggles in Vegas have been, he's better than any of the defensemen we currently have. So mm. you've got five more million dollars and one better defenseman than so like it's definitely it was a disastrously bad decision, but it happened on October 12th. And the Blues <laughs> would be pretty silent uh, for the rest of um, the offseason until Mike Hoffman signed after a PTO on January 11th, right before the season. Of course, that was, um, you know, expected or that was the strange late belated season. The next day, Jay Bomeister officially retired on January 12th, hadn't played since uh, February 11th, 2020. Um did you write that right there? Yeah, I put that okay. in there because I <laughs> nice. thought I thought about it. <laughs> I like was like, I don't remember ago. putting that in there. Um, it, it's, I mean, I think it's a point to make just because obviously, as as people have heard, we focus a lot on Petrangelo leaving, but there was a defensive core back there between Petrangelo and Bomeister and Gunnarsson, and even even Edmondson and Dunn um, that you know was able to come together and actually play a pretty good defense, you know, minus obviously like some of those games against the Bruins where you're giving up six or seven goals, but whatever, that's a very good team. Uh, They're very offensively gifted, but you don't have that anymore. And it's slowly, you know, it feels night and day now, but it slowly happens as you lose Petrangelo, Bomeister retires, Gunnarsson retires, you trade Edmondson, Dunn goes on the, the Seattle Seattle expansion, and then you replace him with. He's been a monster this year. Yeah, he's been really good. And he's in a contract year, so you always want to caveat that and say maybe you know he's outperforming himself, but he's been very good there. And again, that's a guy that you might still have if you didn't sign Tory Krug, Krug, and he'd cost two and a half million less. You Mm -hmm. know, so again, it's every one of these decisions doesn't break the whole system on its own but you start adding them together and starts to look pretty rough. Yeah. It's just not like a, a, it's a bad team NHL caliber defense. Let's say it's not NHL caliber. It is, but like Falk and Krug, as much as we play them together, just aren't like a great pairing um, defensively at least. And Pareko, I don't know if he's taken a step back or he's just never taken a step forward, but (laughs) he's just, he just, I guess he's taken a step back from 2019, but like from that point on, he's just sort of been the same and that, you know, I'll give him a little credit. He does have like the best defensive numbers on this team and of any of our defensemen. So like you have to kind of keep him around in the sense that he's doing the most out of anybody, especially for like big minutes, but he doesn't, 
he doesn't do enough for a number one defenseman, which is what they're sort of using him as. But they also haven't really done that either because he's kind of platooned with everybody else. And so you have someone that's not really a number one defenseman. You have two guys that are probably more of a second pairing, if anything, maybe at this point, especially with Krug. I hate to say it, like I feel bad because he's a great, he's like historically been a great player, but Krug's like in done mode from 2019. Like he should be a third pairing guy you deploy on the power play. Like, mm-hmm. and so, so now you have this, you have this, those are, and those are our defensemen, right? Like those are the big three, the ones you should be relying a lot on. And yeah. then we'll get to the other ones here in a little bit, but it's like, then everyone else is just kind of this mishmash and it doesn't, you see how it starts to fall apart. Like every, for every loss, for replacing them with someone subpar or multiple pieces that don't necessarily fit. Exactly. And Frankie's upset. Frankie's upset. Um, yeah, it's it's been a, a series of mistakes. March 11th, 2021, another mistake, but a mistake. It's a mistake, but I mean, you really had no choice at this point, but to make this decision in the middle of a season where Jordan Bennington had was going to go on to start 41 games, go 18, 14 and eight, but maintain a nine, 10 save percentage and a two, six, five goals against average with uh, 2.6 goals saved above average. Uh, they extended him on a six-year deal with a $36 million total hit and a $6 million salary cap hit. Um, we're not going to beat around the bush here. Jordan Bennington has not been the goaltender that uh, Doug Armstrong hoped that he would sign. I think if anyone out there is still keen on arguing with that, arguing against that uh, because of the defense or whatever, I mean, fine, have your, have your jollies. I don't care, but obviously... Jordan Bennington has not been good to anyone that is a, a honest and impartial evaluator of the game. Uh, I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm not doing any of that, but um, he's not playing $6 million worth of hockey. Uh, and the blues don't have enough money because of other decisions to buy someone that can bail him out more and get a James Reimer or somebody to, you know, give him more relief. So that is what it is. He's here. The uh, on July 21st, 2021 the seattle kraken selected vince dunn in the expansion draft they then signed him to a two-year eight million dollar extension which is about to end um so he will be a free agent this summer a ufa uh let's see he must not be right no i mean he's gotta be he's been in the league for a long time i feel like he's gotta be no he's got a one more year of arb rights oh Ooh, that's gonna be a big big ticket if you will <laughs> pardon the uh Oh, whatever reference. What's that show called? Thirty-one thoughts. Thirty-two thoughts. Maybe um, uh, maybe uh, what's their what's their GM's name? Maybe Ron Francis can do a nice little bit of business. This yeah, summer. Oh, I bet he can. I bet he can do a nice piece of business. Uh, July twenty-eighth, <laughs> five. July twenty-third. Excuse me. Two days later, the best moment on this entire on this entire thing. Uh, the Blues trade Sammy Boy and its 2022 second round pick to the New York Rangers in exchange for Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, and then four days later, sign him to a four year, $5.8 million AAV. It's funny to me how uh, I look at that and think Pavel Buchnevich has two years left on his deal after this. That means he's almost gone. But I look at, say, Marco Scandella right now, and I say, Marco Scandella has one more year left after this. That means he's here forever. (laughs) 
it's funny how the player quality changes your perspective on things. But um, this is obviously the biggest win by far of this entire run. And Buchnevich has been borderline superstar with this team, arguably our best player over the past two seasons. Uh, took a huge step forward. We got him at the extreme discount. Uh, I would call this a, an indisputable trade rape, if you will, pardon the grotesque term. Uh, the, you know, we don't need to rehash why the Rangers chose to trade him, but it was stupid reasons. And the Blues were the benefactors of that. And he's been sensational here. I think the only question you have to ask with Buchnevich is, does he become a long-term part of your future? Or should you start uh, investigating trade offers for him in the next year or two? Because uh, I don't, I would love him to stay here forever, but if we're looking at a real rebuild, he's a huge piece that you can get a lot of money for if you trade him now. Um, so, you know, it's something that will at least worth thinking about. Uh, in any case, uh, one day after signing his extension, after 11 years in the organization, Jaden Schwartz departed for the Seattle Kraken, where he signed a five-year deal with a $5.5 million AAV and a no-movement clause. Um, that decision probably was the right one, but... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jaden Schwartz for a long time, we called him the straw, straw that stirred the drink around here when he was healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, this, the offense cooked last year, but this year it could use, it could have used some more stirring, I would say. Um, July 28th, the same day, obviously free agency day that year. After one year with the team, Mike Hoffman departs for the Montreal Canadiens on a three-year deal with a $4.5 million AAV. However, According to tweets from Jeremy Rutherford at the time, the Blues were, quote, close to signing Hoffman today, but it came down to Montreal offering more money. Have to wonder if Blues coming up short on Hoffman will move them on to something else quickly. Only so many dollars, and they wanted to make it work with Hoffman. So you have to think that in addition to all the bad contracts they actually signed, there was a potential, say, three-year, $12 million deal for Mike Hoffman out there that mm -hmm. didn't get signed because the Canadians went a little higher. That obviously would have been a disaster. I don't think Mike Hoffman even played all of last season for the Canadians, let alone any more after that. He's been very, very bad. Um, I'm sure. Thank you. Playing. Thank you, Montreal. I'm sure he's playing now because they literally have, I mean, they're literally dead. Um, come on. Oh, they're going to make me tight the whole word. <laughs> this is Blue's app. Uh, yes, he is. Dinged at me to just tell me that Vladimir Tarasenko was going to participate in the accuracy shooting event at the NHL. Did it start All -Star with skills. Vladimir Tarasenko? It did. It freaking says oh, Blues no. Vladimir Tarasenko will, and it's like, uh, you will can't do be... that. <laughs> oh, they. There should be that. something in notifications when say just trades, please. I'm convinced that they do that on purpose sometimes. Uh, July 29th, one day later, the Blues signed Brandon Saad to a five-year deal with a 4.5 million dollar AAV. Um, you know, I don't think this has been catastrophic for the blues. Uh, he's probably a player you could still trade on that money, especially as the cap starts to go up. But, um, you know, he hasn't been a, a rock star necessarily. I think what's interesting with the blues is they were a defense first team that then radically shifted their defense. And, um, as a result of that, they, uh, became an offense first team, which is great. But then their offense puttered out after one season, a very high conversion, uh, which I think anyone smart would have seen coming. 
because we talked about it last year, their shooting percentages across the board were insane, but um, you know, the team has shifted identity really in a big way. And now they don't seem to have an identity and Brandon Saad is part of that non-identity. <laughs> Uh, he has three years left on that deal after this one. Uh, the Blues also signed Charlie Lindgren to a one-year two-way contract and in a deal that would shape the future of the Blues organization for many years to come, the Blues signed Callie Rosen. He is Rosen Callie Rosen to a one-year two-way contract. They would later extend him on a two-year two-way contract, which I think I put in here because he is the best player on the Blues, so he deserves recognition. They signed Tyler Bozak to a one-year deal. They traded Zach Sanford to the Ottawa Senators on September 25th, 2021 in exchange for logan brown and a 2022 conditional fourth round pick we did not keep that pick because logan brown played too many games i think um and then they signed james neal to a one-year deal which i read that and was like what uh and then i remembered um they traded kyle clifford to the maple Leafs for future consideration they traded john gillies on december 15th to the new jersey devils for future considerations and i read that and i was like what uh, because <laughs> i didn't remember john gillies played here didn't he have like a five game stretch of insane hockey too wasn't that part of it i think Not it was us. yeah no i'm pretty sure what i'm pretty sure that was the thing i'm pretty sure people were pissed when we traded him a little bit no yes i guarantee you it's like well i'm sure i'm sure okay i'm sure people are pissed <laughs> but that <laughs> doesn't make that... them smart or right there's Look no way he played Look like one game right he played like one game okay you're right one game but it was a good game oh yeah who oh, am i yeah. thinking of who had like a six streak of games are you thinking of lingering you're thinking lingering probably Lindgren, probably lingering yeah because people were pissed that we didn't oh, sign them. Lind- okay, so Gillies came up. It was Lindgren and Gillies for a little while. Was the whole battery right? Because both Huso and Bennington were hurt. I think that's what it was. Um, anyway, so uh, he went to the New Jersey Devils for future considerations. Hopefully, both of those future considerations can be parlayed into one Connor Bedard. Uh, hey, Blues Jeez. then traded Nolan Stevens to the Minnesota Wild for Will Bitten twice shy um that's how I was like we got it. two people for that yeah <laughs> uh and then on february 9th my brother's 44th birthday happy birthday bill uh in a week from today the blues extended craig baruby as head coach with a three-year contract um that was a decision the blues, <laughs> no i mean like i guess we should talk about baruby for a, a hot second because we the question has started to come up on him of how much blame does he bear? And I think the honest answer is some. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I don't understand is why Mike Van Ryan still has a job. That baffles me. He's, his defensive unit has been terrible for two years straight. Why does he get to keep his job? Is that Baruby protecting him? Is someone else protecting him? I don't know, but he should be out of a job. Uh, Craig McTavish, that's a person's name, right? He should be out of a job, it feels <laughs> oh, like. Yeah. But um, as far as Baruby, like if he writes out this contract, I don't care because I don't think he's going to like damage young players coming up through the ranks. But I also don't think he's been especially effective this year, clearly. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on Baruby or should we move on? I mean, I'm with you that like he's he's definitely part of the problem i think anytime your coach kind of gets to the point of being like i don't know what to do as he's sort of said in in different ways throughout the season like you know there's only so much we can do sort of thing 
um you do kind of wonder you're like okay so is the has the message gone stale which isn't even necessarily the coach's like fault but it's like the the answer to that is normally well you got to change a coach um I don't necessarily think there's anything I'm seeing other than pulling the goalie uh for a six on five that seems to never work and doing it kind of early um I don't see anything in like the strategy that's not working unless we're still running with that crappy like oh quality over quantity and shots because that's not working either um but I would feel like they haven't I haven't seen an article or anyone talk about that in like a year or two so maybe that's not they're not running that necessarily um it does kind of make you wonder with how good they were last year offensively and how bad they've been this year um and by comparison if it's not so much Craig Bruby's fault as it is the loss of Jim Montgomery um mm-hmm. that's and, certainly a factor and I mean you could almost say well this is a Bruby issue then because because he's not you know then, then Jim Montgomery should have been your coach or whatever yeah. but I don't know I just it's it's too early for me, I still think, to like fire Baruby. I think you fire Baruby um, maybe if you're going to do a full rebuild, although he's supposed to be good with like kids and stuff too. So it's like, well, maybe you keep him. Maybe you see, I, if anything, I'd say if they're going to a full rebuild, maybe you hold on to him. You see what this team looks like um, under him. And if they're all right, then you give him the kind of like, reduce Jeff Blaschel treatment. He gets to be here for the rebuild. And then when we're actually looking good and we need to take another step, you go, okay, we need someone a little more modern, you know, sort of mm. thing. Um, having said all that, yeah, I he shoulders some of his blame because if you're a really good coach, you're able to pull this team out of this funk because I I still don't think they're as bad as they have been this year. I, mm. I'm glad they are because I think because I think how good they can be isn't a ton better but um i still think he should be able to pull this team out of whatever funk they're in normally speaking yeah exactly um after that the blues traded oscar sunquist and jake wallman and a 2023 second round pick to the detroit red wings in exchange for nick weddy and luke wikowski uh, Oscar Sundquist have one year has this current year left on his deal at like almost three million, I believe. Um, all of that would have been basically fine, except then the Blues on July 13th signed Letty to a four-year, sixteen million dollar extension. Uh, it baffles me, and I tweeted this yesterday. How many people were defenders of that deal when it happened? It was so clearly a disastrously bad contract from the very start. There was no justification for it ever at any point at all. And people were still, and remember, even when it happened, we didn't know Marco Scandella was going to miss the full year. Mm-hmm. And you you can leave the Perron departure completely out of it. It doesn't make sense on, it own, and on its own, and it never did. And we're reaping the reward of making a really, really bad decision now. So anyway, it's... that's my little rant on that. It's kind of mind-boggling just because his whole thing is he's really good. Letty that is, is like really good at like moving the puck. And that's sort of it. Like he's not great offensively. He's not even good defensively, but he has a, a mean first pass, you know, a mean breakout. And it's like, that's just, not that's not I good mean. enough. Like it's, yeah. it's none of these defensemen are good enough. Again, I'm not asking any of them to be like 
our savior or anything like that but like they have to be better than one dimensional Mm -hmm. um, especially for how much money they're paying each of them and i think that's the problem is like you combine three or four of these guys you're like now that's a really good defenseman and it's like yeah three of them make one of them and they can't all be on the ice at the same time Yeah. yeah it's it's not great and i just feel like letty people were always pointing out like well his stats are crap because he's on detroit and stuff and it's like you know some of these advanced stats are kind of like account for where you are and are trying to judge you as like individual or whatever like what you're doing and like he mm-hmm. was never good with those either like his card is his like card was bad his um metrics in the defensive zone haven't been good even with the islanders like they were kind of iffy on the islanders and the islanders were like a good defensive team so that always struck me as kind of odd and so again it's it's a part of a season where they look all right and you're like well we can't let this guy get away if he mm-hmm. if he leaves then what do we have and it's like that's i get it it's true there's no defenseman coming through the pipeline rentals even when he shouldn't oh and yeah that's what this was i think um March 8th, 28th, I I wrote this in there because I've never heard of this person in my life. The Blues traded Brady Lyle to the Boston Bruins for future consideration. Brady Lyle sounds like someone who should be playing for the Boston Bruins, so that works for me. On June 1st, the Blues signed Callie Rosen, baby, two-year extension. Well done, Dougie. You're back in it. Uh, on July 8th, they traded Billy Huso's UFA rights to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for a 2022 third-round pick. Ian, if I may say... A good piece of business, a nice oh, yes. piece of business for Doug Armstrong. <laughs> On July 13th, for the first time in his career, this is the opposite of a nice piece of business. David Perron signed a contract with a team other than the Blues, uh, specifically the Detroit Red Wings for two years at 4.75 million AAV. I was told we couldn't couldn't possibly afford him. Um, that was a lie. Maury said that was a lie. We signed Thomas <laughs> Grice to a one-year $1.25 million deal because we're idiots. We signed Nola Chari to a one-year $1.25 million deal because whatever. And then Charlie Lindgren left the team uh, with a one-year deal with a three-year deal with a $1.1 million AAV for the Capitals. We signed Josh Levo and Tyler Pitler to one-year contract. And now here we are. Ian, what do you take from all of those things put together? everything all yeah. of that well i mean do you have any final thoughts going back through all that because it's just a series of bad decisions yeah i think it's i think you said at the outset right is like we don't want this to be or we're not trying to use this as a thing where it's like so you know in conclusion fire doug armstrong <laughs> in conclusion <laughs> bad gm um but it's like it's just these small individual things that stack upon each other and it's like a house of cards right or what's the maybe this is a little too strong or whatever but like the the what is it the road the road to hell is paved with good intentions or whatever it's like good you one. you you have I, that's the thing is like when i hear fans will be like well we had to get tory krug because we didn't have anyone else you know behind petrangelo to move up and replace some sort of thing or we had to get justin fuck because you know same reason sort of thing or we had to get scandela because bo meester was hurt i get some of that i get you can't just like be like nope nobody and then you have like three ahlers up here mm-hmm. with a pipeline that has like no defenseman and it's still like to this day um i get that so i get the intention is we gotta we need nhl caliber defensemen 
or players in this case, kind of like if you even look more recently at like Pitlick and Levo and folks like that, it's like you have to have NHL bodies. Mm-hmm. I 100% get that. But the problem is there's just been like a lack of creativity, if you will, or like there just hasn't been a home run where it's like, oh, we picked this guy up off waivers and he's doing really well now. A, a, um, Tolvanen situation, if you will, or some other folks where it's like, oh, you're just straight gold. And sometimes it just is luck or whatever. But like we see with the defense, it's like we're just trying to patch holes. And as we do it, more holes spring open and the ship is starting to sink. And I think the problem now is that we're seeing that at the forward position, like Perron's gone mm-hmm. and you fill that with Josh Levo. Like, and they'll say, well, that's not, you know, that's not to replace Perron, but Josh Levo's playing with Ryan O'Reilly. Josh Levo's yeah. playing in the top nine. Like, that is your Perron replacement. And it's, it's you know, no offense, Josh Levo, just not good enough. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not. You've literally gotten worse. There's no two ways about it. You have Tyler Pitlick that you're going to play up the lineup. Nola Chari, been totally fine. Probably, you know, like a, maybe not a career year, but a big bounce back year from last year when he was with Florida um probably he's not going to be on this team they're going to move him i guarantee if anyone's moving oh, i guarantee yeah. nolchar is gone um fourth round pick for him and you yeah consider i mean it's like so piece high. Of business. yeah like i know people are like well <laughs> you know the blues like him i'm like yeah i would too but i'm just saying like is he going to do this again but next year do you can resign him, him then if you need to it's not like he's going to a team that's like we have to extend nolchar <laughs> immediately right it's, it's, it's just, so weird about that i'm just you know that's the other thing with with o'reilly obviously there's been the talk of like i want to stay here it's like all right then come back bro but we got to trade you now like mm-hmm. you know like if you want to if you want to be butthurt that we trade you and leave that's fine but if you right. actually want to stay here then you can stay here after we trade you and then you'll be on a better team because we traded you you know like that's, yeah, like that's we the rules will- yeah, we will have gotten better, and this will be the team that you're on. You're just helping. Yeah. It's like a win-win. Um, I and, know the and Warriors. And you get a shot at Stanley Cup this season instead of misery, you know? So, like, it's a win-win-win, but in any case. And I know the players aren't fans, so they probably don't look at it this way, but imagine winning the Stanley Cup and then coming back to a team, and I know I'm being I'm being very, very, very hopeful, but you come back to a team, and they have fucking Connor Bedard <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you're like man everything's coming up Brian O'Reilly but um like of, go ahead sorry no I just to say it's just I just feel like this team's slowly decaying and mm-hmm. we I mean we can kind of touch on too like today Jeremy Rutherford talked to or Vladimir Tarasenko down at the all-star game and he asked if uh Vladdy's thoughts about being an NHL all-star or being an NHL all-star and this being the last time he represents the blues on the big stage. And Tarasenko said, Yes, obviously, yes, because even Vladdy don't know the future of Vladdy. <laughs> you can read the rest of this as my dogs go hand. Legendary. Yes, obviously, yes, because even Vladdy don't know the future of Vladdy. There's only one guy who knows more than me, and his name is Doug Armstrong. I think that's the guy who you should be talking about my future with. Uh, the Blues, and then asked if there have been any talks with Armstrong. He replied, "No, not lately." Uh, obviously, he's very pissy with Armstrong. Um, so you know, and that's fine. You're going to be when you're leaving a team. He's also requested a trade, so I don't know how 
much of a right he has to be pissy with the team right now like, considering you, trading you him. wanted the trade so maybe <laughs> yeah. we can talk to you a little bit yeah. like <laughs> so um but in any case uh vladdy don't know the future of vladdy is uh, a classic all-timer up, up I, there with borscht's full meal all of these moves in have let the blues in a position where they're just fundamentally a bad team i know we've talked about these stats a few times before but they are uh 23rd in goals four per 60 just under three 28th in goals expected goals four per 60 lower we're actually outperforming our expected goals still 2.73 26th in goals against per 60 over 3.5 goals a game this team's allowing uh expected goals against per 60 25th shooting percentage we're still 10th so it's not that it's not bad luck it's costing us uh and uh save percentage 29th again the goaltending's not good high danger save percentage 77.52 percent i love i love with high danger save percentage how the anti uh the anti-analytics community will be like well that's because they're getting better shots than other teams it's like yeah specifically that's what that stat's supposed to tell you (laughs) is that the goalies are doing well against the best quality shots. But in mm. any case, uh, high danger goals for we're 2.27. High danger goals against we're 30th. We're a very bad team. Um, and now it's Doug Armstrong's job to rebuild it. And presuming, assuming that we don't make major moves between now and our next podcast, we'll be talking about that uh next time what that rebuild looks like uh in the meantime ian what else did you want to talk about today um i wanted to i wanted to shout out trophy pants who mentioned mentioned us or was talking in a thread about blues podcasts on reddit and he said something or they said something along the lines of like i thought only cats listen to that podcast and it's true (laughs) so you're a cat Thank uh, you, you're a cat, and I don't know how you got on the computer. You probably watched across the keyboard and wrote something intelligible, and we appreciate that. We appreciate seeing, the effort. Seeing that made my day, and I was having a rough day, so I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Ian sent it to me. Um, I believe you also said you had some sort of quiz prepared for me. Oh, well, that's right. I think we've talked about most of these players. Maybe this will be easier for you, because I tried to do this to myself the other day. Um, mm-hmm. They basically asked on the Dangle podcast if Steve could name 11 out of the 16 or at least 11 out of the 16 first round picks the Leafs have had since 2000 I wasn't going to go that far back I was going to go to 2010 there have oh, been thank god there have been one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven first round picks by the Blues from 2010 to 2022 can okay. you name all of them 2010 easy Schwartz and Tarasenko. Got it. 2011. Ooh, that one's couldn't have been Jordan Schmaltz yet, right? Did we have a pick then? We must have. Hmm. <laughs> Haram was before those two, correct? Right. Uh, that one I might not know. 2011. I feel like I should know this. 2011 first round pick. Defenseman? No. I had no idea. Go ahead and tell me. Oh, wait. Is this the crappy goalie guy? No, that was earlier. Tell me. I don't have 2011 is nobody. Okay. 
Who did we trade that first pick? We first we goal. traded to, Ryan, Mil- Ryan Miller. No, no. Twenty eleven, we traded it to. It was a conditional. We traded to Colorado for Stewart and Shattenkirk in the okay. EJ trade. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Twenty twelve, back on the bandwagon. That was Jordan Schmaltz. Right. Twenty thirteen, no pick. Jay Bowmeister. Correct. Twenty fourteen, no pick. Ryan Miller. No, we do have a pick. 2014 first round pick would have been Robbie Fabry. Right. Ooh, I'm a hot baby. I'm hot. <laughs> 2015. Was that the Ryan Miller year? That's correct. Okay. 2016. Now I should be rounding into form. I feel like 2016. Uh, T- I for- Tage Thompson. Yeah. I forgot Tage. I was like looking at 2016 and I was like, is that Cairo? And I'm like, it is Cairo, but not in the first round. Isn't it nuts that he became, he's becoming a superstar basically this year and he's been in the league for seven years or been drafted for seven years. Right. Uh, 2017 then was Robert Thomas. Mm -hmm. 2018, Dominic Bach. Mm -hmm. I forgot about Bach. 2019, no pick. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres took Ryan Johnson with our 32nd overall pick. We took the Stanley Cup instead. <laughs> Suck at Buffalo. Uh, 2020, Jake Neighbors. 2021, Zach Boldick. 2022, Jimmy Snuggeroo, baby. That's right. Let's go. You have you have one that you miss. Oh, we doubled up. Uh, oh, Quim Costin. 2017. You, you nailed it. Nice. Nice. I had these like I had most of these except for Thompson and Bach, and I had a few of them like moved by a year. I totally forgot that Schmaltz was 2012 <laughs> and not 2011. Being. I was like, I was like, I thought 20 whatever. So then I was like, okay, so 2011, our first pick of 2011 was Ty Ratty in the second mm-hmm. round. 2013, our first pick in the second round was whatever whatever his first name is, Vanelli. 2015 was done and 2019 was Alexandrov. Cause I'll always, I'll always remember like our first pick. And then that always makes me think, Oh, that was a first rounder. It's like, Oh no, it's not. And then Cairo, Cairo being the second round pick in 2016 is always kind of funny to me. I'm like a high, a high second round pick, but I'm like, wow, really Let's read redraft. I don't know. 2016 is 2016 really strong redraft. would be like top 10. Maybe. Tage? I looked the other day. I would well, still Oh, Tage would be top 10 for sure, but would Kyrou be in 2016? Uh, Probably. He's pretty freaking right. good. Like, I don't remember the... Tw- I mean, I, let's see. That was the Matthews year. That's like Dubois. Matthews? I'd, I'd draft Kyrou over line A. I'd draft Kyrou probably over Dubois. Uh, Puyarvi, yes. Uolevi, yes. Kachuk, no. Clayton Keller, yes. Nylander, Alex Nylander, Nylander, oh, yes. yes. Mikhail Sergachev, no, probably. Jost, Logan Brown, whoops. Michael McLeod, Jake Bean, McAvoy, no. So how many of that's that? Five? Kunin, Chikrin, yeah. probably take Chikrin over Kairu, but only yeah. by a little bit. Fa- Fabro, Stanley, Bellows, Chalowski, Gautier, Rubsov, What's her ups off mean? Borgstrom, <laughs> Jones, Tufty, Tage. Yes, obviously. Brett Howden, 
Lucas Johansson, Trent Frederick, Sam Steele, Igor Koshkov, Tyler Benson, Rasmus Asplund, Andrew Peak, Jordan Cairo, Alex DeBrincat is later in the draft. Man, uh, he was Adam, the same as Adam Dan. Fox was a third rounder. So Adam Fox Ooh. is probably your two. But I think I think Kyra is like eight or nine in that group. That's pretty good. All right, Ian. Before we go, there's one more topic we have to talk about because it's the it's the rage of everyone who cares about this, which is a very <laughs> niche group of people. Uh, we're going to talk about the WWE Royal Rumble because it was dope, and Ian has been fully converted to a Royal Rumble, a, a professional wrestling stand. That's Many right. years ago, he asked for this, and now he's got what's coming to him. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if we've told this story on the podcast before, but Ian. Uh, my brother got me into wrestling a long time ago. Ian once asked me to like watch it with him a few times and tell him the storylines and stuff so he could learn about it. And the running joke would always be when something real stupid happened, I'd always say, you asked for this. Um, <laughs> and now uh, he's managed to catch on to one of the greatest storylines ever told in wrestling um, that reached, I wouldn't say it's culmination, but it's climax up to this point. Uh, at the end of the Royal Rumble. Obviously, if you somehow got into Thursday of the week after the Royal Rumble and protected yourself from spoilers and don't want them, then, you know, tune off, but also maybe uh, come back to Earth or, or work fewer <laughs> jobs or something. But yeah, uh, hustle culture is overrated. It's wild. Uh, Cody Rhodes won the men's Royal Rumble. Chalk. Rhea Ripley won the women's Royal Rumble. Chalk. But the Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns storyline. I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea how it was going to work out. It was the best. It's the best told story. It's so good. Every, every chapter of this is so good. And one of the things, one of the things that's kind of driving me crazy is so much of the fallout from that event has been like, well, Sammy just has to challenge Roman now, or the fans are going to revolt. He just has to challenge Roman. It can't be Cody anymore. It's got to be Sammy. It's like, bros, do you not trust the people who have been telling this story to get it right? Like it, however much it's Roman's story or Triple H's story or whoever's booking all this, Paul Heyman, Sami Zayn, whoever's involved, they're getting it right every single time. So maybe just trust that they know where it's going, you know, and everybody thinks that it's going to point to Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against Jay Uso and Jimmy Uso for the tag team championships at uh, wrestlemania and that's been the story the entire time i don't get why people are like just because sammy turned on roman because he's the guy like it's always been a sammy and jay and kevin owens story those are the central players of sammy's part of the story sammy yeah. had to win over jay Uso. it took him months to win over jay Uso. he won him over by turning on kevin owens and then ever since then, Sammy's been trying to fight off Kevin Owens and convince the bloodline that he's, you know, on their side. And then the only reason he turned against the bloodline was because Roman pushed it too far with Kevin Owens. So like it is a, if you had Sammy go on to beat Roman at WrestleMania, that would just completely castrate Kevin Owens, who's been a integral part of telling this story who would then have i don't know a singles match with jay uso like it wouldn't none of that would make sense so um <laughs> i i just thought that notwithstanding i mean it was not screw wrestling it was like some of the best television i think i've ever watched so, i mean like it's, it was so entertaining and it was just one of those things where i knew something was going to happen whether it was like during the match or after the match 
And so when nothing necessarily, you know, the match was good, but nothing like went off the rails during the match. I was like, okay, like, that's interesting. And then when they, you know, they start, the bloodline comes out and they start beating on Kevin Owens and you're like, oh, okay, okay. And like, they, you know, he's going to, they're going to start using a chair on Kevin Owens and then Sammy jumps in the way of Roman. Roman, Yeah. Yeah. I got (laughs) to, I watched this with Arlene and she was like, she loves Paul Heyman because she thinks he's like ridiculous uh-huh. because oh, yeah. she's like, he says travel chief so often. And you're like, why does uh-huh. it keep, she keep, he's like, That's ah, if you want handcuffs, travel chief, I've got your handcuffs, travel chief, travel yeah. chief. He's <laughs> like, this dude's weird. Um, but yeah, just like, I love how they set him up to, or set Sammy up to hit Roman with the chair, like not once, but like twice. Like there's definitely a moment where I was like, oh, here it comes. And then he turns around, he looks at Sammy, and then he's like, starts pushing him in the face and, you know, tell him, you know, make a fun of him because he's crying or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, so he's not going to use the chair. And then they set him up again and kind of move him a little further off. So, you know, maybe not, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But the, the best part, I've watched it so many times, is like the pop when he hits Roman with the chair. Like that place oh, went like nuclear. nuts. Oh, pops. I didn't even they really. They were so loud with the fuck you Roman chance. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it was so well told because, like, with Roman, you're always running the risk of him being a face. He's so over. Mm-hmm. He's so popular. You have to tell the story really well for him to not look sympathetic when somebody else attacks him from behind, you know? Mm-hmm. And you did manage to do it in a way. And one of the things, one of the things that's interesting is it's like an old, old wrestling, like, you know, belief that that the old schoolers talk about is like when you do a turn where you turn from heel to baby face or whatever, you really have to actually do it. You can't, you can't just let it happen. There has to be a moment where you make a decision that flips the column you're in. And obviously Sammy had been effectively a face for many months now. He was Mm -hmm. so popular. He was so over. Everybody loved him, but he still ultimately got that moment where he decided that he personally of his own volition was changing sides you know and he couldn't take it with the bloodline anymore he couldn't take it with roman reigns anymore but even then after that happened they didn't show they didn't linger on roman's reaction too long and they didn't show paul Heyman's reaction at all which is usually who they'd go to first for the facial shot it was all about sammy turning to jay and apologizing mm-hmm. to him and then Jay rolling out of the ring and not being involved in the inevitable beatdown. So obviously that's still the story they're telling. And I think some people are just kind of stuck in a one track mind about Sammy beating Roman, but like, man, it was so good. It was so dope. I don't know. It was, it was awesome. So, so is Sammy like, do they have him lined up to fight Roman Reigns at like elimination chamber? Not yet, but there's been some that would have speculated that that would be a match, um, you know, that at Montreal where he would be even more over than he would any other place because it's his hometown. And then, you know, they'd set it up so that Kevin Owens came back there and that's where they would spiral off into the um, Uso storyline. So that's certainly possible. We should know more Friday tomorrow when they do SmackDown because that's the funny thing. They did Raw and they didn't touch the storyline at all and Cody Rhodes was the entire focus and he was mm-hmm. totally supported so all the like internet smart fans who were like, they're going to revolt against Cody Rhodes were like, you know, immediately kind of shut down, which I'm sure was semi-intentional, but um, 
Yeah, man, it was good. I mean, the whole show I thought was great, but that part was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I, I it's kind of crazy, too. Like, I love that they start out with the men's Royal Rumble just because I was like, having only watched it a handful of times, I feel like don't they always seem to end on that? I don't know if they always end Almost, on that, but usually the Royal one of the two Royal Rumbles ends up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, very interesting. But like, I, I enjoyed that out of it. I thought the pitch black match was at least somewhat interesting. I was like, oh, okay. Like, got for a match, wearing, like, for like a match that was clearly was just a cash grab, which I yeah. can't blame them because I'm sure they were paid millions and millions to do it. Like, they managed to make that interesting and unique enough that I was like, I don't ever want to see this again, but at least it feels like one time they did a, a promotion for like an evil dead movie or something where they just literally had like zombies around the ring and it was so <laughs> campy and awful that, yeah, you know, even though they made millions for it, it was like, God, please don't. But like the pitch black <laughs> thing was at least like a little interesting. They did it up with the neon and the glow in the dark stuff and all that, you know? So. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I was just kind of surprised how much of like a stomp it was. I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess yeah. to kind of set up the the Bray Wyatt, Uncle Howdy like storyline stuff. But I was like, oh, I thought it would be a little more back and forth. And he's like, no, I just kind of like stomped on LA Knight. Like, yeah. Hey. Yeah, I mean, I think that was going to happen. But yeah, it's definitely, I don't know. There may be more to that for them in the future. But yeah. I'm I'm excited. This is I've never even watched an elimination chamber, but now I'm going to. Because nice. I gotta, because I gotta follow it's through. Be good. Elimination chamber matches are fun if they do them well. Um, anything else you want to cover before we hop off here? Um, real real quick, if there's any hockey cats still on or whatever, I do want to say, and we can touch on this next time too. But I was like scrolled through Twitter real quick. All the stuff that's gone on with Tarasenko, I feel like a lot of people are like turning hardcore on him and i guess oh. your argument can be like oh he's turned on the organization so why do i need to like still support this guy and to that i say fine like if that's you know you that's your right to feel that way but he can leave this way and i will be sad that he left but i i harbor no ill will towards him i've seen a lot of people on twitter being like ah oh, this is like this is very sad or this is like he's being such like a little baby or you know all this other stuff and it's like yeah i mean i'm not gonna i'm honestly i'm not gonna really disagree with you but i honestly uh, think the minute he's gone you know folks will still be like well i'm glad he's gone and i think in a year after that everyone will be like you know what i really enjoyed when he was here and like that's how mm -hmm. i feel already like it's i wish he was gonna be here and retire here and have you know three four five 30 plus goal seasons here more but like it's not in the cards and so that's okay like maybe it's my investment in owning like four or five Tarasenko <laughs> look I gotta keep that I gotta keep the the numbers high you know if I'm gonna sell but um I just it, I guess I just don't see it that way necessarily you know I would yeah. in a lot of other cases I think I would but I think the fact that he's just been so he's been so fun to watch here and for the longest time he was like the electric player on this team he was the goal scorer and he's done so much for this organization in terms of just like moments and stuff mm -hmm. that like if he's like ah fuck <laughs> fuck Doug Armstrong and the Blues I'm gonna be like eh, you'll be fine you know how many people have left the team been all pissy and then like when they retire and stuff I'll they're like you know be a legend yeah yeah so like whatever it's fine I don't think I'm... he's gonna live anywhere else you know yeah I mean I I think that's a good note to end on we're gonna talk a lot about changes in the coming months and possibly years 
Um, and there will be people that leave that we really love and don't want to see leave. It's all done with a, an eye towards respecting what they gave to this organization. You can't replace that. Their name's going to be on the Stanley Cup as a St. Louis Blue and no other names. No one else was on the Stanley Cup that day. So, um, yeah, be respectful of these guys, even if there are hurt feelings or words said that shouldn't be said. Um, I mean, again, it's your choice. Do whatever you want. We don't control you. Also, you're a cat. So what do you know? But um, no one can control you for us. From us, it will always come from a place of respect and gratitude and not a place of hatred or anger. But uh, with that said, Ian, it's been a it's been a long episode, an omnibus, if you will. Uh, We will be back after the all star break. Maybe we'll do one. Um, just a week from today, which would be a little mm-hmm. before and talk about like the, the future picture. But in either case, uh, we will talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great evening. Happy Groundhog Day. Maybe there will be no tomorrow. There wasn't one today. And we'll talk to you real soon. See ya. Don't be-